0: Welcome to the Tej Talks Podcast. Forget the property celebrities. We speak to relatable people with fascinating journeys, just like you. Hosted by Tej Singh, we bring you new stories, life-changing deals, and expert advice every week. Good day, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Tej Talks. On today's show, we have Simon. Uh, we go through quite a few different things. He has invested in London before, but now invests in Manchester. Started off with some uh, cheeky vanilla bitlets and BRRs and you know, some of these and some of the flips he's done have been in London. And now we focused on Manchester and is looking at some commercial stuff and I suppose what we could call bigger stuff. So if you're looking to make that transition, uh, especially if you're actually if you're new to property, we went through quite a few different uh, factors and experiences and mistakes, including being minus 25,000 pounds down um, on one of his flips, but being 150k up on another, even though the sale has fallen through once and almost fell through again. so obviously as always, a bit of a bleeding adventure here. So we cover quite a few different topics, but I think really, really useful uh, if you're starting out or if you're looking to scale up. Um, so enjoy Simon, welcome to the TED Talks podcast.
1: Hi thanks for having me.
0: No problem. You know, today's going to be an interesting one because we're going to talk about your journey, but we're going to talk about London and Manchester because you invest in both places, right?
1: Yes. So it's a lot to do with my location in the past. So I uh, originally lived in Manchester as a child. I moved to London for work. And as I started to invest in property, London was my home. So I invested on my doorstep. Um, but due to uh starting a family I made decisions in 2016 to move back to manchester uh, and really my focus has been more around purchasing new property in manchester since since that point
0: okay so let's let's talk about that story then so you moved to london for for work um now obviously now you're in property what were you doing for work and you know what what made you look at property? Because as far as I know, you had a fairly good job.
1: Yeah. So um, my my background was um, originally in finance. So I I went to Durham University, graduated from there um, with a business finance degree. And like most university graduates, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. I wasn't sure what I wanted to do before I went to university. But my dad at the time suggested you should do something in finance because you can get a well-paid job through that. And he he worked in accountancy before. Um, so I came out of university. I got um, a uh, nine-month job at Barclays in Manchester um, selling loans and credit cards and different types of bank accounts. And the idea was to save up to go traveling. Um, so me and four friends, we went traveling around the world and had an amazing time. Uh, did america australia new zealand vietnam various other places um and while we were away traveling we were sort of discussing what our next step was and it turned out that out of the four of us three of us wanted to move down to london it was sort of the the place for me to go if i wanted to work within the sector that my degree was in uh and luckily I had friends that were going at the same time, so it really, really helped me out uh, that they were going, because it really gave me, gave me the push to do it. So I came back from travelling when I was 22, um, and uh, within, I think it was about one or two months, I moved down to London. Um, I got a job uh, working as a training stockbroker, so it sounded like it was amazing, Um like, I was going to London, the streets were paved with gold, I'd be driving around in a Ferrari uh, by the end of my first year, uh, and everything looked rosy. But when I, when I actually got there, it was uh, what they call uh, a boiler room where um, they are not, I guess, the most ethical. Um, the the uh, CEO um, used to come round with a golf club and he used to hit on the back of your chair and be like, get on the phone. So your job was to... If you've seen The Wolf of Wall Street, it was a bit like that, where your job was to literally call high net worth individuals, so they had a data sheet. You called them up, you tried to get information about what they held in the stock market, and then it was passed on to one of the senior brokers. We were all the younger guys, and we didn't we earned hardly anything. And then uh, there was these senior brokers who we were being told were earning hundreds of thousands of pounds. Um, and I just thought this isn't the industry for me. There was no, there was no like um midgets on spinning round like there was in wolf of wall street (laughs) but uh there was some strange scenarios going on down there Um, so anyway
0: how long ago was was that that kind of wolf of wall street job i did how long ago was that job in the wolf of wall street uh
1: 2006 so 15 years ago now wow a long time ago so i mean i I thought this was a great job when i went down and it wasn't um I left there and thought, right, I'm mm-hmm. going to get a more serious job now. And I moved into uh, working for a company called State Street, who were a global investment bank. Um, we Our head office was in Boston. Uh, we had uh, a building in Canary Wharf. Um, so we had our own building there. And um, I, I worked for the asset management part of the firm. So, effectively, what we were doing is we – looked after the pensions of big blue chip companies um so some of our clients were like world bank scotland nestle they would get their pension pot for their employees and they would give it to us and we would invest it in the stock market at the time when i when i was there i think we had like 1.7 trillion assets under management as a group so it was like ridiculous money Um, i started off as a junior sort of settling trades and What would happen is, uh, uh, someone would buy one of the traders would buy a stock, and it would be my responsibility to make sure that trade settled correctly within the correct time manner. Um, I spent 11, no, 10 10 or 11 years there, and over that time, I I rose to various different roles. Um, I ended up when I left, I was a vice president, looked after about 40 different people, and I was running various different operational team supporting the portfolio managers
0: Mm. and then you know what was your sort of first step into property or what gave you a kind of push that said hey maybe maybe you should look at this
1: yeah so I'd always always had an interest in property I just didn't really know how to get into it Um, I didn't have any family members who had invested in property before and there wasn't really anybody that I could speak to so to speak. There wasn't there wasn't like the Instagram community that they have nowadays. I don't think there was even Instagram back then. Um but what happened is the friends that I moved down to London with, uh we were renting a, a property in a place called uh Ballon and um there was there was actually another chap there, so there was four of us in total living in this flat. Um and we were we it was it was horrible. I mean, if anything that we needed from the landlord, they just wouldn't do it. So our clothes would go mouldy in the in the wardrobes, and the solution was move the wardrobe into the um, into the middle of the room because it's too close to the wall. And I was like, who who has a wardrobe in the middle of the room? <laughs> that's, that's Maybe just do something with the condensation. Um, so I was lucky enough that I was in a well paid job. I'd managed to save up to buy uh, a property. Um, and I made the decision to buy a property in East London. So it was a four bedroom. It was a four bedroom property, four double bedrooms. Um, and, um, I said to my friends who I was living with, right, we're renting an office lady at the moment. We're not living in good conditions. I'm going to buy this house. It needs a little bit of work. I will do the work and then we'll all move in together. We'll move into a different area of London. Um, and you guys can, can rent off me. Um, I didn't follow the buy, refurbish, refinance model. I basically, I basically got a mortgage on this property. I did the work, so it was habitable for the for the four of us, and then I moved my friends in. Um, so I think at the time I bought the property for three hundred and fifty-five thousand, and I spent back then about fifteen thousand pounds refurbing it, and I was on a two-year mortgage, so I couldn't I couldn't take any money out. My mortgage cost uh was on a repayment mortgage was just under a thousand pounds, and then my friends were paying me four hundred and fifty pounds per room, so immediately I was living um for free, and I was making a profit from day one so I thought then I thought this is a good idea. maybe I should try <laughs> this a bit more
0: Wow, and like how did you how do you know how to do any of this or was it really kind of learning on the job?
1: It was it was really learning on the job. Um I don't think that I bought that property at the best price. I don't think that if if I had done a BRR on it it wouldn't it wouldn't have worked and I wouldn't have known that when I bought it. I didn't really do any sort of due diligence. I didn't have any idea on How much it costs to put a kitchen in, put a bathroom in, to decorate a house. I was really just learning at that time. Um, And it was very much, very much trial and error. Um, And you you learn from your mistakes, but I still hold that property now. Um, That property is now worth about £750,000. And the rent, my mortgage is interest only £1,100 a month. My um, rent's £2,600 a month and it's never not been rented. So, I mean, it just shows, I think time is a, is a great thing in property. You, you've you got to, obviously, as you learn, you, you've got to identify the property from day one that it's a good investment and you make your money when you buy. But in your early days, Sometimes you do make mistakes. If you hold on to that property long term, it's going to go in the right direction. I think you look at the, the forecasts that we're seeing at the moment for property prices over the next few years, you buy something now, it, it might be 20, 30% higher by uh, 2026.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. And then, you know, from that point on, but obviously you have this this project and it it worked out and you know and obviously now it's even better over time what like from then onwards what was your sort of approach or strategy and how did that then combine with the job
1: yeah so while i was in london my my job was my number one and really property was more of a hobby um because i was working long hours um i was a single guy so i was still like in my my 20s going out and enjoying myself sometimes maybe a little bit too much and uh, I was in a a strong position where I was working in London, I was working in banking so my salary was good and I didn't really have any outgoings because I'd created this situation where I, I had a house and I also had people pay for that house for me uh, and they were actually paying because they were my friends who were paying below market rates. Um, so it got me to the sort of the position where I could quite quickly buy a second property. And it was, it was strange actually, cause the property next to the flat that we were renting came on the market. and I bought that house. Well, sorry, I bought that flat, which was next door. We, we were living in East London. Mm-hmm. My friends preferred to live back in southwest London. So I said, right, two two years later, let's move back to southwest London. I bought the flat next door. That was brand new to for them to move into, um, and then rented out a second. And then immediately my income had gone up because I didn't know about interest-only mortgages. I put the original property on interest-only mortgage, and my cost went through the floor.
0: Hmm so you were buying in london which you know obviously needs you know a certain um kind of capital amount for the deposit where was this coming from your job so your job was essentially feeding your property
1: growth it was yes it was um is that a good strategy
0: for i mean did you find that obviously you weren't trying to grow like crazy but did you find the balance was there or you know should you have quit your job earlier
1: I think I could have done if I'd invested better, and I can touch on that later later on. Um, with a with a property that I made a mistake on, but sort of my strategy then was I will just hold stuff. I'll just buy another property every couple of years. You've got to remember as well. I was I was lucky at that point with capital growth. I mean, the capital growth that we that I saw in London over the period that I held the properties. Properties have gone dub- more than double in price in that time. So I now have a golden rule where when I buy a property, because I'm because I'm older, I guess, I will only refinance it once. So say I'll buy a, a property cash, refurb it, I'll refinance it after six months. I will never touch that property again. And I'm building the, the loan to value in it. Whereas in the past, I was in my early mid-20s I wasn't that concerned about being as highly leveraged. So as, as well as my salary, as the property prices were rising, I was able to refinance and remove some of the equity from the properties to invest in, in further properties.
0: Mm, that makes sense. And, I mean, you know, at, at that period, you I understand you bought and sold a handful of properties in yep. London. Um, for you, because it's a very common question, like, when was the right time? I suppose looking back now as well. When was the right time to quit your job and focus on property fully? Like, was there, was it a gut feeling? Was it how much money was in the bank account? What kind of, what made it the right time?
1: Well, there was, there was a couple of things. So I, I, I always wanted to move back to Manchester. It's where my family was. I had a lot of friends around here. I didn't think that London was the place to have children um, and I'd made a decision, sort of, when we ha- when we have children, um, that we should move back back up north. Now it came to the point in in 2016 where I was able to I had low mortgages on on I think three different properties in London, and um, I was able to extract quite a bit of cash out of each of those three properties. At the same time, in well, a couple of years before, in July 2014, I bought a property to move in with. It was when I moved in with my girlfriend at the time. We bought it, well, I bought it for £485,000 and um, I spent just under £20,000 refurbing it. It was a one bedroom flat and I managed to convert it into a two bedroom flat and put a bathroom on. We then we lived there, and when we moved back to Manchester, I sold it. I sold it at six hundred and ten thousand pounds. So that was sort of part of the strategy. To I knew that I knew that my plan was to move back up north. I knew this property, in particular, that we were living in, was a bit of a cash counter to help that happen. But I would say probably from about two thousand and ten, I was really gearing up for the point that I knew. I was moving back home. I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be able to work within the industry and the role that I was doing anymore. So I needed a second strategy and it took, it took time to do that. I mean, it's not property. not a a get rich, get rich quick scheme. You've got to take your time, build your portfolio slowly. You're not going to make a lot of money off one or two properties. Um, And you've got to have your, your longer term goals. I mean, a lot of people say you've got to have one-year goals. I think that's great to have one-year goals, but it's often important to look at the bigger picture. Where do you see yourself in five years' time? Where do you see yourself in 10 years' time? Because you can really compound what you can do in one year over that longer period, and that's when you start to see results.
0: Yeah, I, I totally agree, and I think I think it's not a cliche, but people say like you underestimate how much you can do in a you overestimate how much you can do in the first year, but you underestimate how much you do in five years. And I think it's true. And maybe it's the society of kind of instant gratification and whatnot that we live in, but it it's so easy. Yeah. My first year of property, I'm going to do all this stuff. You end up doing half of it. But the year after it's like, whoa, that just mm-hmm. went from zero to 60. And it, it's, you know, you and I can both say that because we've done that. So anyone starting out, like trust us, You that first year you think you're going to do so much, but you know, like Simon's saying, it's that compound effect of your time and of capital appreciation. Let's not forget that, which is pretty awesome, as, as you've had in London quite heavily. Um, but it's also making those decisions along the way, and obviously your one of of doing this deal set you up to, you know, I suppose quit your job, have enough money should you need it, you know, if the other ones had voids in or whatnot. So, you know, when you did this deal in London. Um, yeah. you know, was it quite a big refurb? Was it one hundred and fifty thousand pounds
1: you spent on the refurb? Ah, oh, the the um. So the the one that I've just mentioned was a small refurb that was about twenty thousand pounds. There's a there's a project that I've done in London um, over the last year, which was about one hundred and fifty thousand pounds. Yeah, if you want me to go into depth, yeah,
0: that let's one. let's talk about that deal because I think it'll be interesting to. And that was quite recent. You said,
1: yes. So. I'll tell you about what happened with it, and I'll also tell you about some of the challenges that I faced with it as well. <laughs> yeah. um, so it was a four-bedroom, first floor flat, again in a, a town called Ballam. Um, for people who don't know where Ballam is because it's not that well-known, people tend to know where Clapham is. Um, so you've got Clapham Common, and uh, it's quite well-known because it's got quite an uh, a, a eclectic sort of High Street with loads of different bars and restaurants on. It's quite central, balance so you just jump down from London Bridge. You can get the train there, the, the Northern Line, underground in about 20 minutes. I owned a, a first-floor masonette there. Um, so you sort of went into the property. There was um, a living area, a kitchen, one bathroom, three double bedrooms and a small box room. I put planning permission in to split that flat into two separate dwellings Um, so effectively what we did is when you when you got to the top of the stairs where the flat started uh, we split it so going towards the back of the flat we created a two-bedroom um property and that was converting the current bathroom into a bedroom knocking down the wall between the the existing kitchen and bathroom, sorry, kitchen and living room to create an open plan space. Um, Fitting a small bathroom in that space as well. And then the double bedroom that was at the back remained the same. And then at the front, to create the additional space, we built, uh, we uh, did a loft conversion. Um, So you had uh, your living area, your kitchen area, your main bathroom on the first floor as well as a double bedroom. And then you went up into the loft, and there was two double bedrooms up there, um, one with an ensuite. Uh, and I've had this sort of plan to do this for quite a while. And I thought, it's, I've, I've held the property. I love. I, I hate selling properties, but I thought if I do this work, I need. I need to sell um, because it's it's the best way forward. Now I finished the work in March, twenty twenty. And I put the properties on the market and about a week later after getting a bit of initial interest, uh, we went into a national lockdown and then I sat uh, with the properties, uh, paying the mortgages, paying the council tax for that period. I didn't want to put someone in for rent because I was a little bit concerned if someone started renting them, then at the point where the market opened up, that would be off-putting for buyers and uh, it just make it difficult to, to sell them. Um, so I put them back on the when the, when lock, lockdown lifted, um, both of them sold. Um, and we completed on the larger one um in September. And the day of exchange the um the, the buyer pulled out on the smaller one, which was <laughs> a bit of a kick in the teeth. Uh, so I had to get that one back on the market again. Um we accepted another offer uh, in November, which is going through at the moment. And I had a bit of a, uh, a disaster with it last week, which was that we had this survey back from um, Accord Mortgages, and they said that the value of the flat was worth zero. And I read the survey, and I couldn't understand it, but on the survey it says, um, as this is a new property it doesn't meet lending criteria as it, as it hasn't been lifted What and the um mortgage broker for the buyer had put them with a supply with a mortgage company that wouldn't accept new build buy to let <sighs> so it was a complete mess up on their part i not an
0: amateur day, broker they said so, you know what like sometimes you think i mean there's a lot of good brokers out there but like any like this criteria is literally on their website for Brokers and people is mad. Sorry, carry on. Yeah,
1: yeah so I was I was having like a, an aneurysm about. <laughs> I think it, not again. I'm going to have to put it back on the market. I'm going to have to wait another three months till we can complete. I, mean, I need I do I, get this money out. It's been so long. Anyway, so they've gone for another uh, mortgage today. I'm just waiting to hear. So hopefully it should just delay it by a few weeks. Um, so in terms of sort of numbers of that property, the the flat was worth. About six hundred thousand um, pounds before um, I did the work, and I used to have it rented out uh, for two thousand five hundred pounds a month. I spent one hundred and fifty thousand pounds on it, which which saved a lot. Um, but first of all, you've got London build prices, uh, which are more than in other parts of the UK. Um, we also did full full loft loft conversion juliet balcony up there there was two kitchens that went in there were three bathrooms that went in and there was some cost that i wasn't expecting so i think one of the, the one of the key things was uh which sort of took me by surprise was that the utility company demanded that we needed a three phase supply into the building which just seemed absolutely crazy because there's only three flats in total <laughs> Um, which ended up costing about six thousand pounds additional, Oof. which wasn't in the initial budget. But we, I, w- I always put a contingency in to sort of cover these things. Um, so where we're at with it, um, we uh, sold the larger property five hundred thirty-seven thousand in September. The current one is going through at three hundred sixty, um, so should leave a profit of about one hundred and. Fifty-ish on the deal, if my numbers are right. Which and I how did you
0: that. how did you find this deal originally? Was it like listed with an agent?
1: This deal, so I I bought this through an agent in two thousand and fourteen. So it yeah, it was just just bought through an agent. Basically, all my London properties bought through were bought through agents. Now I seem to get stuff sent to me more off market as well. Um, But I think I hear a lot of people saying at the moment about how the market's hot and how it's really hard to get a deal for an estate agent. I think, yeah, there there is challenges in the market at the moment and prices are going on an upward trajectory. Who's to say that we're not getting good value in, in six months time, we look back and say, Oh, we should have bought that one at that price. Um, But my sort of view on it is the market will will come back to normal at some point. Prices might still rise, but there's not going to be this crazy bidding war on every single deal that goes on right move. I
0: believe and hope so. And yeah. you know what? There's an interesting point there about the, the broker not picking the mortgage because what I've done is every time I've had a flip, so I've done three flips, I always get – um, well two were sold direct through Instagram so I was speaking to the, you know the buyers that was easy but I maybe this is a tip for everyone I always ask who is the lender that they are going with um, one because I want to know well you know are they one of the slow ones and they're going to pee me off should I set my expectations but secondly once I have the name of the lender they've been put forward to if if they're a buy-to-let investor who's buying it I know quite a few lenders and their criteria, just because I'm a geek. I'll know sometimes. Like, hold on a minute. You said they're self-employed, blah blah blah, earning this much. Why are they going for that lender? And so I can say, you know, to the other side at the beginning. Listen, you know, how are you going for this lender in sort of some terms? And on the Resi side, I just message like a Resi broker who I might know well and say. Um, Hey, this broker, any, I mean, this lender, anything I should know about them? Do they lend on, you know, funky stuff? Because doing that and having that good relationship with a broker, like I've definitely caught, like I've caught buyers out before where I said to them, they're not going to lend to you. Your broker's an idiot. Like I can tell you that, you know, and I'm not qualified. Mm-hmm. So I think it's really important. I mean, it's an extra step, you know, but just ask your broker, you know, like the, the person who's buying it, ask your own broker, about like is that gonna work um i think it can sometimes save but you know what it's like isn't it like buyers it's just a f- flipping stuff is, is just a pain mm-hmm. um now you know that's quite a big refurb now was this done to like quite a high standard are they luxury apartments
1: yeah so it was done, it was done to a high standard i think the sort of market and the demographic of the of the area um that the properties are in demanded a, a higher standard um and i sort of have two two sort of ways that i do things so with um if i'm doing a property for to rent out it obviously got a lower standard than if i'm doing something for uh, a flip now generally in manchester i haven't flipped stuff it's only been down south and i've always put in more of a premium premium um, decoration premium kitchens premium premium bathroom just re- i think the important thing is when you've got people viewing your property they might it might be a saturday and they might have put 10 viewings in and they're all two bed flats and they're all 10 minutes from the tube, and. You need to wow them something different that your property has that another that the other properties don't have. It could be something simple like it's got lights underneath the counters in the kitchen so that they can change colours. Or it's got a funky mirror in the bathroom, but it just needs to be something slightly different. And I think it's also useful, especially on a flip, to, to do staging as well because it allows the the purchaser to really feel how it would feel to them as if it was their home.
0: Yeah. Those are really good points. I've made the mistake of not doing those extras on a flip, you know, and I can tell you from the other side, which you know anyway, but it, it makes a difference. You know, people will just say, yeah, well, like you said, the other one down the road is, is nicer. And you're basically, you know, the same distance, same this, same that. And that interior design, it, you know, it, it doesn't... Co- if you're savvy with it, it doesn't cost too much to make it look gorgeous. But the emotional response from it, you know, you you can't put a price on that. I mean, they will. And hopefully it be a good price for you. But that's something... And the staging is interesting. You know, a lot of investors and developers don't stage. I mean, could you talk me through maybe the cost of staging and, I don't know, if there's a return on that? Like, if 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 you got feedback on the staging in particular, or if you think it's worth it based off, I don't know, feedback or an increased offer.
1: Yeah. So I think, for example, if I touch on just, I'll just talk about the the, um, property that, that we've just mentioned. So one of the challenges that we had with the smaller flat, which is the one that's going through at the moment is because we converted a bathroom into a second bedroom. It was quite a small bedroom so the sort of feedback that we were getting from a lot of the um, viewers were, "Oh, the bedroom is too small. We couldn't do anything with that." Um, I measured it up myself, and I, I knew that there was the option to sort of use, you could use it as a as a, a study, you could use it as a, a small single bedroom, or you could use it as um, a child a child's room, maybe a baby put a cot in there. So what? um we decided to do with that room at a staging point we put um a an office area in one corner and then in the other corner we put uh what was the equivalent of a queen size um so that they the viewers could see look we've got this extra space here we can use it as an office we got a lot of people working from home at the moment there's a big demand for that but if We've got friends coming over to stay. We've also got that space that they can stay there as well. Um, I think it's a minimal cost when you're thinking about the cost of a, of a sale as well. If you stage something, you might get five, ten thousand pounds more on the end price because they can envision themselves there. Um, and I'm not sure off the top of my head how much I paid for. For stage, I've not got the details here, but I think it was around five hundred pounds in total.
0: I mean, that's that's cheap, you know. Um, t- to get, e- I mean, look, even to get a thousand pounds more on it, that's still double what you paid. So, for me, you know, I think it's given it, if it can be that well priced, it makes a huge difference. Like you know, even even for taking pictures professionally, and even for attracting investors and for your social media you know, a staged property just looks good, you know, there's there's more to it. So yeah, that, that's a good point there. And perhaps something, you know, people listening should consider, especially if you've got stiff competition, you know, if you're going to make 100k plus profit or, you know, a high amount, you know, I suppose there's a balance, right? You can't complain too much if staging could actually help you. So that's a project that went really well in London. But I believe you did one in 2017 which cost you a couple of quid. Let's talk about that one.
1: Yeah. So, um, this was sort of going with my uh, heart instead of my head. So, at the time, I, was, I just moved back to Manchester. I just hot sold um, the property that I was living in in London and bought myself a, a house in Manchester and for some unknown reason i was like oh i really want a, i really want another property in london and i had the cash to do it so i bought a um a two bedroom flat in a place called Collieswood, which is again southwest west london it's just a few stops further out on the um tube line um i didn't do my due diligence on it uh at the time, and I went in for planning to do a loft conversion. I did the loft conversion on it. Um, it just didn't work. My my idea was to have the living area, sorry, the, the bedrooms on the first floor, and then the loft, the loft area uh, was to be used as a living space. And there wasn't really enough head height, and people were getting put off by it. So I actually ended up on that one, losing um, 25 1000 pounds um that was basically the the cost i bought it for plus the fees added to the um total refurb cost and then um taken away the the end sale price and it was it was just a bit of a nightmare and i, I look back at now and think i was living in i was back in manchester then i bought this house for and 300, uh 000, i think i bought it for Spent a good chunk of money on it. Why or why did I not just buy five, six, seven terraced houses in and around Manchester and do the BRR model? And then now I'd just be sitting on uh, a significant amount more of passive income coming in every month. So I think sort of my my lessons learned from that is you've got always got to do your due diligence. You've got to really know what you're entering in and understand what you're entering into before you, you part with that cash. I mean, when you, when you're investing in property, the numbers are so high and that's, that's even if you, if you buy a hundred thousand pounds house, you're risking a lot of money. When things go wrong, it's not like homes on the ha- under the hammer where <laughs> they always make a profit and they've not even visited the house. You will, you will make losses. Luckily, that was the one and only time that I have made a loss. Um, but that was sort of the start of me trying to do more uh, flipping and BRR models. And I was so, I was new to it and I hadn't researched it. I hadn't educated myself as well. And it, it didn't work out and I lost money on it. And you never want to lose money.
0: Never. And I mean, for example, if that was your first deal... Would you then be like almost minus 25k down?
1: From- yeah. I would.
0: And I mean it's it's quite different, isn't it? When you put it into perspective, like say you got deals going on, you did you did one with 150k profit, you got a portfolio cash flowing, you can kind of you don't want to, but you can sort of withstand the loss and you can mm-hmm. financially balance it. But I suppose people listening need to think. If they don't know what they're doing, and their deal analysis is not ten out of ten. How are people going to cope with being twenty five k down? I mean, and you know, to take it maybe two. You know, you could you could be owing that to your bridge,r you know, you could be yeah. owing that to your investor. So, yeah, yeah you have no way of paying them. Well, yeah, exactly, because you started off with a small pot. You you didn't analyze it, and. And that can happen, right? And I suppose that's the importance of, you know... And, and I suppose if you start simple in property, i.e. buy to let, BRs, things like that, it's more forgiving because, yeah, you can still lose a fair bit of money, but it's usually a proportion of, you know, the end value or how much you're spending. But I dread to think if someone went into development for their first deal and that was 250K... Yeah, <laughs> um, which agree. which can happen, right? And, and has happened.
1: Yeah, I I think it's it's really important for anybody that's starting in property, they need to educate themselves first of all. And I don't mean going on some course where they spend ten thousand pounds on a weekend or however much it is. Education come in the form of listening to podcasts like this, engrossing yourself with other people who are already walking the walk and doing that journey. So networking events and now hopefully they'll open up more over the next few months. Reading reading books, immersing yourself in any information you can on on the on the internet, viewing properties on right move, even if you're not planning on getting ready to purchase, go and view it. Put your deal, put do a deal stacker on it, run the figures on it and just Get used to it so that when you are ready to invest, you say, Oh, yeah, I viewed one on that road six months ago, and this is how it looked. So I know that this new one that's come up is, and now I'm ready to go for it, is a good deal.
0: Yeah, and that's a good point there. You know, it's <laughs> there's so many moving parts, right, to deal analysis. Uh, even on a vanilla by to you know, I know it's not development, it's not conversion. So it is simpler, but if you priced a refurb, wrong that deal could be dead in the water. If the end value's wrong, dead. If you purchase it wrong, dead. So there's like three or four main points that some of them you can sort of cost engineer and you can, you know, you're in control of somewhat, you know, but a rewire is two and a half grand or three grand, you're not negotiating that, you know? And so I think for people, you really need to make sure you're shit hot on those three steps um, throughout your whole journey. And you know what, speaking of that, you transitioned from vanilla by let's into doing other things. I mean, how, maybe a few questions, how difficult was that? And do you have any advice for people who are wanting to go from by to let's to, you know, bigger things that you've done and are doing?
1: Mm. So I think it, the, the biggest piece of advice is it's a stepping stone. So you, 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 you'll see, commercial properties or land opportunities or whatever that come up all the time you'll you'll drive past them and think, oh that could be a great opportunity you can't jump in at the deep end and be like i'm going to convert 18 flats 20 flats 30 flats at the start because you just don't have the skill set to do that and i don't have the skill set to do that at the moment either so i i've started off sort of slowly with with my commercial conversions. The largest one that we're trying to work on at the moment is six flats, and that will be the biggest so far. Uh, before that, I've done a four flat conversion, um, but it's about taking stepping stones um, and moving on to the next project, or without thinking that you're going to make a fortune if you can go from doing a brr on a single let to suddenly oh if i do that if i do 10 flats or 10 properties at once i'm just going to make 10 times the money because you you won't because if you've not got that experience there's so many additional costs or things that you've got to think about i mean just thinking about on larger projects the health and safety regulations and stuff like that and the different types of certificates that you need and dealing with utility companies it, it all just gets a lot more confusing but well, having said that every time you do one you learn a little bit more to move on to the next one
0: yeah and i think that's sound advice and there's a lot of people who want to go straight into development straight into flat straight into whatever luxury you know kind of houses on the top end of the, the market and i think look anyone can do anything but it makes your life so much easier and Like, it de-risks your journey because, yeah, developments make the most money. Um, But they're also the riskiest, right? More money, more problems. So by starting small, you do what we all need to do in property all the time, which is de-risk it. I mean, deal analysis. It's just de-risking it, right? To make sure that it comes out with a result. So you invest in Manchester and London. Now, different markets, you know, both big, well-known cities with lots and lots going on. Does your strategy differ between the two? And are you still, because you live in Manchester, are you still investing in London like now?
1: No, I don't. I don't invest in London uh, anymore. And I've not invested in London for about four years. Now I just hold my portfolio that's down there and that sort of stays. It's a passive income earner um, and I just plan to hold it for, for a number of years. Now I've decided that, I was going to invest in Manchester when I was back in Manchester for two reasons. I, I live here and I like being close to what my investments are, especially when you're doing refurbs and stuff. It, it helps to, to be on the ground. Um, I also know know the area well, um, I've been, having grown up here and spent the first 20, 20 years of my life living here. And I just think Manchester is a great place A great area to invest in. I think there's. It's come a long way over the last ten or fifteen years. There's been a lot of uh, gentrification in certain towns. There's been a lot of money pumped in by councils, not not only in the city centre but in the suburbs as well. That really uh, um, regenerated the high streets and uh, and pushed a lot of more money into into those smaller. Smaller towns, and I think there's going to be quite a a good amount of capital growth over the coming years. Um, Sort of my strategy at the moment is I am doing a few commercial um, conversions, but I do also love uh, a vanilla buy to let. Um, I've got one, for example, that should hopefully complete next week, which is just a, a, a BRR refurb. And I think I just love doing that, and I love creating. Um, family family homes and uh, turning an unloved house into something that, that people could enjoy and live in for many years.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. Good old BRRs, love them. And your portfolio now is just shy of £4 million. Is that
1: correct? Yes, that's right. Most so, of it's held in my uh, personal name and then I set up uh, a company just due to the government tax changes in 2019 mm-hmm. I don't think I'll buy in personal anymore. I can get them to go through a company from Mm. now on. And
0: have you used investors on the journey, or has it been your cash from profit and savings in recycling?
1: So the majority of um, the majority of the the, uh, properties that I purchased have been through my own cash. I have um, used. A couple of investors in the past um also with the properties some of the properties i'm buying for a company i have uh, a partner who who i buy them with um i think in terms in terms of investors the best way of getting investors is networking getting your brand out there and talking about what you're doing i joined instagram in August last year I think it was and it's been a massive eye-opener to me. I wasn't aware that there was all these people on there talking about property and I think it's a really, really good community and if you're serious about property, it's you should get on Instagram and start following some of the many accounts on there um, but also if you're serious about raising finance, you need to make a paper trail of, uh, for yourself and it's very much like your CV. If you're applying for a job, you want to show what you've done. If you can, sh- if someone asks you what you've done in the past, and you can show, right, there's three hundred posts I've made about different projects that I've been working on. You, you immediately credible.
0: I agree, and you know, Instagram. Do you think it is the best platform for property investors to use if they were just going to use one?
1: I think so. Yeah, because. Property is very much about the aesthetics, about showing what a house looked like, what what it looked like when you bought it, what it looks like now, and obviously it's a it's a photo and video sharing uh, website. So I think some people do use LinkedIn. I found LinkedIn is a bit more sort of corporate side of things. I think Twitter's a bit of a, a black hole, and Facebook's more for showing pictures of dogs and babies. I think. <laughs>
0: Everyone loves a cute dog and a cute baby. Yeah.
1: Um, For me personally, I mean, I, I, the only, I I have, I've had social media personally um, on all different platforms, but the only one that I use uh, for posting about property is um, Instagram. And then I'm a member of uh, a number of different sort of property networking groups as well, which I find useful because you get to meet other property investors. You could you can find out, you can learn stuff about different strategies or what people have done in the past. Makes
0: sense. And last question before we close off. What are the biggest three mistakes you have made in your property experience so far?
1: i have to think about that one. So, biggest three mistakes. Um, I think the first one is not doing enough due diligence on a deal I can't stress enough that it's important to do your due diligence understand your area know your numbers know who your prospective tenant is or who your prospective purchaser is you want to go into any property deal with your eyes wide open and if you don't do if you don't do that then you're setting yourself up um for a fall um my another mistake that I've made is not buying property uh, where there's opportunities that I could have done in the past and I ummed and aahed over them and maybe didn't go for them you sort of time you get hindsight and you see that yes that was a that was a great deal and obviously you can't you can't do every deal that comes across you play but you've got but i think i would i look back and think there are opportunities that that i've that i've missed out on and that i should have focused on and mm. uh, and i could have built i could have built at a quicker rate i think as well when i was in london um and then i think the third thing which is a mistake which you need to focus on is you need to make sure that you've got that power team in place, which I have in place now, but I didn't have it in place or I was let down by some power team in the past. So by power team, I mean, you need to have a really good solicitor in place, you need to have a good architect in place, you need to have a good mortgage broker in place, and you need to have all your key trades people in place as well. So that if an opportunity arises, you've got people that you can go to and act quickly on it. And the same, if you've got a property and there's a problem, you've got someone that you can trust that can go around straight away. There's no point in searching the internet for a, for a plumber at 11 o'clock at night because you might be sending someone around to your tenant's property who doesn't know what they're doing and they're going to mess it up. So really important, get those, get those people in place that, that you can trust. And if you don't have them, ask for recommendations from other property investors.
0: I agree. Great tips. A little curveball question. If you could have dinner with anyone, dead or alive, which two people would it be and what would you eat?
1: Uh, I'd have to choose Alex Ferguson because I'm a massive Man United fan. And um, he he started winning trophies when I started getting into football. So I sort of followed his whole career. I see him as like, a father figure, I mean when he, when he passes away in the future well, I feel like it'll feel like he, one of my family members has died um, so i'd love to, I'd love to meet him and, and speak to him and talk about his his career, not only like discuss like football and the team that he's managed and the players that he's worked with, but he was a great leader and really knew how to get a team to work together, his communication skills, maybe sometimes shouting a bit too much. um and then i'd love i love my music as well so i'd probably pick somebody like john lennon from the beatles i just think it'd be interesting to learn about his life and like how he got into things He, he had such a passion for what he did it'd be great to feed off that um what would i eat i'll go for a uh fillet steak with um chips
0: and bone marrow with it as well Ooh, cheeky love it Simon I'm going to put your Instagram in the show notes so people can go and follow you but thank you so much for coming on the Tej Talks podcast
1: okay you're welcome nice to speak to you
0: if you like this podcast connect with Tej on Facebook LinkedIn and YouTube for more great content